This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at Craft Beer Brew. Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. I am on location in Seattle, Washington for this episode of the podcast. And, you know, an interesting thing happened over the, the uh, past couple of weeks on our Brewery Workshop Facebook group, um, which is populated by folks that have attended uh, any of our past eight Brewery Workshop, uh, brewery, New Brewery Accelerator events. Um, you know, some folks posted a collaboration picture and it was uh, Frank from Bickerson's and uh, Jason from Stemma Brewing up in Bellingham and uh, Phil Camerano from Good Society Brewing. And, uh, you know, that I so I was looking at this, started looking up all the breweries and I was like, Good Society. And then I was looking at the GABF awards from last year, like Good Society. Hey, Good Society won Small Brew Pub of the Year at GABF last year in a gold medal for the first to fail uh, Grisette. And so, you know, I started putting those pieces together and was like, we should have a conversation here. And so here we are at Good Society with uh, Nick Berger and Phil Camerano of, uh, of Good Society. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Thanks. That was a long-winded story to get to that point to say hello. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but what a wild year. You, uh, you opened five weeks before COVID shut down the entire world. Um, I can't wait to talk to you about that experience of ups and downs or really downs and then a very big up toward the end of the year and how you all have managed through this launching a brewery in one of the worst possible years to launch a brewery um, while also figuring out how to make beer and obviously figuring out how to make award-winning beer, you know, through that entire process. Um, We're going to talk about that, but first as the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling. GND Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, reliability, and dedication to their customers' craft. New this year, redundancy meets efficiency. GND's micro channel condensers are built with all aluminum construction, which eliminates galvanic corrosion. Using half the refrigerant of conventional condensers with fewer brazed connections translates to a lower GWP and less opportunity for leaks. Call GND Chillers today. To discuss your project, reach out directly at gdchillers.com. Also, this episode is brought to you by Crisp Scottish Pale Ale Malt. Crisp Scottish Pale Ale Malt is the workhorse of many a brewery and is home in a variety of beer styles. Crisp sources the lowest nitrogen spring barley from farmers in Fife up to Moray during malting. High cast moistures and a balance of optimal germination time and temperature results in an even well-modified malt with a rich color and balanced sweet malt flavor, which is ideally suited to ale brewing. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com for more information on crisp Scottish pale ale malt or call 1-800-374-2739. So Phil and Nick, um, why don't you first give me your individual beer stories and uh, you know what led you all then together to, uh, you know, to launching a brewery? Why don't you start, Phil? So my background uh, was with 80-year-old family beer and wine distributorship down in Tacoma. Uh, I wrapped that up, sold it in about 2000, and sort of seen the craft beer uh, revolution from the beginnings uh, and was just kind of energized, thinking, gosh, it would be great to kind of figure out how to brew beer after selling it for years and years. And a friend got me into home brewing. And became a rabid home brewer and uh, then got in kind of competitive home brewing and started getting a couple of awards. Uh, needed to fund the project, so I got a job at a local homebrew shop. This time I'm sort of kind of sort of semi-retired looking for something to do. Right. And uh, and just thought at some point I, I do want to get into uh, pro brewing. Took a couple of weekend courses at UC Davis and... Uh, for the home brewing side and then the possibility maybe of doing something someday. Always felt that our area in West Seattle was underserved and needed another brewery. Right. Because uh, there, were, there were, at the time, very few options. You know, and that's a weird thing because you think about Seattle as having lots of breweries, but they're not in every neighborhood where people are. And you are definitely in this 
uh, neighborhood that is was not served by uh, other existing breweries. Correct. Correct. And but I just you know the challenge was finding a location and feeling that to go it alone. It'd be yeah. nice to have a partner in that. And it, but so I just kind of shelved that idea until Nick came along. So Nick, what's your story? Um, enough people have asked me this by now. You think I'd have like a good elevator pitch, <laughs> like an elevator speech down, but um, I don't. Um, I think I actually didn't even like beer for the longest time, which is the weird thing. Yeah. Like all college, didn't didn't care for it much, even even here in the Northwest. And, uh, and my first job out of college, I, uh, I was a... I got a, I was able to move around the country a lot and, okay. and finally when I moved back here in, in 2006, I, uh, you know, the beer scene was kind of blowing up around here again in Seattle and I started tasting some beers and I was like, Hey, these are pretty good. And that's when I actually really started getting into the beer. So like my, my beer palette is relatively new for, you know, compared to like some other people. Well, and, I mean, 2006, that's not too bad. Is it? I guess it's a long time ago now, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, and, uh, you know, I remember the beer that did it for sure. And at the time though, I was, um, what really got me into like brewing was there are plenty of professional uh, brewers now who were yeah. not legally allowed to drink in 2006. I, I know. I know. That's why I'm like, yeah, I guess, I guess it wasn't even that, I guess that was a long time ago, but, um, I was uh, I was doing some consulting work out at Microsoft, and uh, one Christmas, I think it was a Christmas of like 2007. This guy came around and he set bottles of beer that on, right. on the desk, and for everybody's kind of gifts. And I, I looked at him and I was like, "Oh, where's this from?" And he's like, "Oh, I brewed it myself." And I was like, "Oh, people do that? Like, I actually didn't even know <laughs> sure, you could do sure. that at home at that point." And in um, my only experience with brewing beer at home was a college roommate got a like a beer in a bag thing where you put water in it sealed it and like left it in a closet for two weeks and then came back to it and it was the worst thing i've ever tasted in my life <laughs> right and so uh, i i opened this guy's beer and it was it was awesome and i started asking him questions about it over the next few months or so and then the next christmas my wife got me a, a book on how to brew and i read it the whole day like that christmas day i just read the whole thing and the next day i was like hey we got to go find some equipment and like homebrewing in 2008 wasn't the industry that it is now sure, for sure, sure right and so we were hunting like we went all over the sound and i finally found some equipment up in everett and uh and bought that and made the first batch then and um and and loved it and just started thinking about um different flavors and how i could get the flavors out of beer that i wanted um instead of you know leaving it up to somebody else and that was kind of what intrigued me most about it and um, as I grew as a home brewer, I was like, Oh, someday I, maybe I could do this professionally. That'd be pretty fun. And a very common thought among home, home brewers yeah, for sure. Yeah, sure. Definitely not alone in that, in that respect. And, and so, um, but then I just thought about, man, it's really daunting. Like I started just talking sure, to other brewers sure. and you know, it was probably 2010, 11. So there was a lot of brewers popping up around here um, right. at that time and just started talking about their journeys. And it was, became pretty daunting to me. So I just kind of shelved it. Uh, you know, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out some other time. Right. Maybe, maybe, or maybe I won't. And I'll just drink all the other good beer that we have in Seattle. And, um, and then, you know, after, after going between jobs here and there, I just kind of figured out that it wasn't like, that wasn't the career I wanted anymore. And I was like, well, what, what career could I have? And my wife was like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta go see somebody like a career coach, because I don't want you deciding you want to do this brewery thing. And then two years later, be like, eh. <laughs> you know, you know right, not right. for me. And so sat, sat with a career coach for a little bit and, uh, and didn't tell her I wanted to do anything related to a brewery and we basically worked on like, what are you looking for in a job? And it turned out opening a brewery is actually a pretty good fit. And so by that time it was like 2016, so I started kind of stepping out of my other career, um, taking other jobs so I could work on a business plan uh, and look for that. And um, it took me a couple of years to get the business plan and, and you know, friends and family interested in investing, sure, you know, sure. th that, that, that thing. And then, um, but I was still, I was nervous. I was like, man, I don't know how I'm going to, you know, I don't know how I'm going to brew the beer and do all this other stuff. And I was like, I, I was going to at least, I would ideally like to find a partner and, and at the very least I would hire a, a brewer or something like that to help out. And, um, and I was going into the homebrew shop one day to, uh, to grab some, some ingredients for something. And there was a bunch of trophies sitting there and I was like, Oh, whose trophies are these? And they're like, Oh, those are Phil's. And I'm like, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> and so he started talking about it and I asked him, uh, Hey, you ever thought about opening a brewery? And 
we just uh, kind of started chatting about it and and it turns out he had and I had and we you know we seemed to kind of hit it off and work well together and so we just kind of started down that path and I think that was early 2018 uh we finally found this place in August of 2018 signed a lease in November um started the build out in late June of 2019 and then opened February 14th of 2020 man and so you know I met Phil in 2018 in San Diego at our Newbury uh, Brewery workshop Newbury accelerator um and so that was right at that moment where you all were finding a location and kind of you know moving along this arc um talk to me about you know what you know, that, that, that challenge of getting from that point where you had this idea and you found a space to then actually opening a brewery, because that's an 18 month span Mm -hmm. by my terrible math. Um, you know, and, and that sounds like a long time to hold on to a space, build out a space and get a business open while, you know, nobody's making any money. Yep. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That is uh, exactly it. It was, both of us not knowing exactly how to run a full-scale brewery. Uh, we had the, the benefit of a, a great architect who had built out breweries. Who and, was the architect? Uh, Greg, His name is Greg Bjarko. Yep. So he's worked on a lot of projects around Seattle. Cool, yeah. cool. Yeah. And uh, so he was a great resource. Difficult finding a contractor to help us. And we, we did a lot of it ourselves, uh, but utilized uh, a contractor and, and – um, he it actually worked out quite well for us, yeah. Uh, utilizing him, but it was just all these pieces we didn't know exactly how they would all fit together, and then there was a huge system laying in the middle of our half done space, and I'm like, oh my god, that's a big brew house, and you know, going from a ten gallon brew house to <laughs> seven barrels sure, was sure. stunning. Uh, but it just kind of all fell in place initially. You know, it's in the component of putting together a kitchen. We are a brew pub, and right, and uh, the, the additional challenge of additional also challenge. building out and and yeah, kitchen. Right, right, and the staff and staffing back then wasn't an issue. You know, we we had a lot of people wanted to work at a brewery back then, pre-COVID. <laughs> back then in twenty nineteen, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, we probably opened later than we wanted to, mm-hmm. and and which would have been probably even more beneficial for us had we opened earlier. You know, we would have had a little more of a track record before closing down, but, yeah. uh, but it, but it, I think it all just seemed to sort of work. It did. I, there was definitely some frustration. I think it was just, you know, not having done that before. And, you know, when, when it's, when it's your business and your dream and you're waiting on other people, you're just like, you really feel the frustration. Right. And you're like, I don't know why I'm waiting on other people. And so like a good portion of that was permitting. Right. So right. we signed a lease in November and you let the architect go then like, you don't, you don't have your plans before you sign a lease. And so, you know, it took probably three months to, to get the plans together. And then they were sitting with the city for another three to four. So seven of that months was right. Nothing. It was just, you know, it was work, but it, and things were happening behind the scenes, but it wasn't like we were here swinging hammers and doing anything. We couldn't do anything really. And so, um, so that was a big part of it. And then, you know, just, yeah, the contractor who, we're, we're not his only customer. And so understanding sure, like, what, sure. you know, he's got other things to do too. And you're like, well, I don't understand that, you know, and no, you should just come and do it. And <laughs> right. Like right. that was, that was always the part that I was like, no man, this isn't, this isn't that big of a build out. Like you can do this in like two months and it took five or six. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And it wasn't because again, it wasn't because there, were, it was a great contractor. I love the guy. And it was just, you know, he had three or four projects working and he right. had to give time to each one. And so not, I think not understanding that beforehand was um, kind of led to a little bit of a little stress in the timeline. And like, had I understood that beforehand, I would have been like, oh, okay. And just planned a little bit differently. But, right, right. You know, because 18 months with no income, but a lot of money flowing out. I mean, that that's a challenging kind of process. Let's, um, I want to, you know, kind of delve in deeper on some of the you know bigger problems that you guys had to solve through that kind of, you know, uh, technical build out. But first a brewery might have 99 problems, but your fruit supplier shouldn't be one. Old Orchard is already known for their quality concentrates, but they also prov- uh, pride themselves on consistent product and reliable supply. When brewers need assistance, Old Orchard is just an email, phone call, or even a text away. 
based in Greater Grand Rapids, Michigan, better known as Beer City USA, Old Orchard is core to the brewing community. To join their fruit family, learn more at www.oldorchard.com slash brewer. Also, for years, Brewery DB has been the industry's only professionally curated source of brewery and beer information. In 2019, over 1 million brewery visits were made by craft fans searching for breweries on brewerydb.com. In just a few weeks, Brewery DB will unveil an all-new experience to help craft lovers get back on the brewery trail to take full advantage of the enhanced marketing power of BreweryDB and increase your taproom traffic, set up your account on marketmybrewery.com. That's marketmybrewery.com. It's easy and it's free. So let's talk about, um, you know, what would you say are the one, two, or three biggest hurdles to overcome? You mentioned timing. You mentioned contractor. Um, you know, what are, what are the other major problems that you had to solve in that kind of path to, uh, to getting a brewery built out? Coordination. Yeah. You know, was co- coordinating delivery of our, our, uh, brew house. Who, who's the brew house from? So the brew house is Bridgetown out of Gresham, Oregon hmm. and great people to work with. And they, they were really helpful, helpful in getting us, uh, going. Lauren came the first brew day and, and has always been available to us ever since, you know, anytime there's an issue, he's responds immediately. And that's, that was super helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some issues on timing of, of getting our, uh, fermenters in, which resolved itself, but it just, you know, kind of kept, uh, creating issues for us. What, how, um, what brew house size did you, you guys settle on and, uh, and why? Seven barrels, uh, just because we felt it was a manageable size. Once again, you know, pre-COVID, our goal was to be a brew pub. Yeah. And thinking that was a manageable size. Uh, we left a little room for expansion for 15-barrel fermenters so we could, you know, increase as we sure, needed to. Sure. And uh, initially, it worked great. <laughs> <laughs> initially? What does that mean? Well, just in the, the you know, there have been times that, uh, you know, we, we wish we had probably maybe upped the fermenter sizes yeah, you know, but 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 overall, it's it's it was a good size for us. It was a good fit for us, and you know, kind of thinking back to you know a lot of brewers saying sort of the minimum profitability wise is seven barrels, and so that that seems to work for us. Yeah, Are there any other uh, major challenges that you you know, had to overcome along uh, the way to opening? Man, I think a lot of the government stuff, and it's like yeah. and I, I like I don't want to. Well, how many months was it for your TTB registration? Uh, the TTB was actually easy. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was like we were almost record time for that. I think it was just a couple months, and we were shocked. We had that forever before we were even ready to use it. Wow. And uh, so I think we were. I'm not sure what happened there, but <laughs> we um, we had a good we had a good attorney, and she's like, "No, this is exactly what you do. Exactly what you need to submit. You know, sail through." And we did. Like they didn't have any questions. There, it's like cool. And uh, yeah, I think it was like a couple months tops. And I think there was a thread on, it was either the, the Brewers Association or, or, uh, or Pro Brewer. And like, they were like, Hey, post your times and all this stuff. And I, we were like, we post our time and everyone's like, what? And like, there was a few others that, that <laughs> sure, snuck through sure. at the same, that, that snuck through about the same time period as we did. And uh, I'm not really sure, you know, again, we just had our, you know, I think they called me once and walked through and verified some stuff and that was it. But uh, no, it's more like like local stuff, building codes and things like that. And and um, it, and I remember the big one for us was the uh, wastewater and like uh, plumbing engineering. And King County changed a lot of things uh, the year we happened to permit. Of course, why not um, to to need like engineered plumbing um, things and just all these like you know, just all this design into your plumbing systems, right? And like. Well, we just want to put some drains in, you know, <laughs> and and, uh, and so that that one was. Kind it is of the, the least challenge. sexy topic. Oh, it's horrible in, in the world yeah. of brewing, yeah. and yet it's it's actually an incredibly important one. You know, yeah. um, I remember when I was up uh, visiting Sean Lawson uh, a couple of years ago. So that was 2018. You know, like the brewery was cool, but he really wanted to show me the wastewater treatment because like, they have you know a pond system 
where they're they're you know yeah. tre- uh, biodynamically treating their wastewater, yeah. and that was the re- because that little development that they were in had built out this kind of wastewater treatment system. Because in Vermont, everything has to go into streams eventually, and so it yep. has to be clean when it goes into streams. You know, having effective wastewater processing was a humongous deal. You know, and on that same trip, I had gone to you know the Alchemist, and you know, they've got a bioreactor, you know, a million dollar system treating their effluent and wastewater. You know. To to put it out again in that same kind of way. Um, and then at the same time, I've also got other <laughs> brewer friends who ran afoul because, you know, their, their, you know, locality decided to change the rules yeah. on, on their, the allowed effluent that's going out of their wastewater. And they ended up having to tank and, you know, uh, truck out from these tanks, their effluent for Gosh. treatment you know, and all of a sudden, you know, like they had to, they had to fire people. They had to let, they had to like eliminate two or three positions at the brewery, you know, just to free up the kind of money. Cause it's, you know, $10,000 a month at least to like, you know, tank this yeah. and then truck it out. And, you know, and so like we, you know, it's, it's not a very sexy issue with no. wastewater, yeah. but it's so <laughs> incredibly important, Yeah, you know, because breweries do create a lot of that. Yeah. And, and for us, it was it was weird because you know we're small we're tiny it's like we you know relatively speaking we don't know like i think i calculated it out and i was like yeah average household sends as much as we do down down to the system you know but it's it's the kind of things that we're sending down there too it was weird because that was the year that king county just decided to start enforcing this stuff or, or changing the rules right and we're like dang it and so like you never really planned for that when you'd planned a year before and now all of a sudden your your plumber's like, oh, well, have you gone through this? Because if you don't and your plumbing inspector comes through, you're going to be sitting here waiting for a, a review of your plans for a long time, right? So you're like, dang it. So that was that was one that was interesting to to navigate, but we were able to get it in. You know, they had it, they had somebody that had gone through it with another brewery, like an engineer. Right. And so our plumber was really good. And and uh, that, was, that was one thing I did was I sought out contractors like i didn't let my contractor pick his contractors i was like i picked my contractor uh, because he had done some beer related stuff but then i picked like the electrician and i picked the plumber because they had specifically done brewers before yeah and so that that was helpful because they you know along with the architect being like okay well i've done brewery before you know having having other people that had done a brewery before was incredibly helpful and so they were the ones that are actually like hey you need to do this with king county before you know we can try and sneak it by but and you might get by but you probably should just be safe. And so it all worked out, but yeah. it was still yeah. one of those things you're just like, Oh my gosh, I had no idea I even had to do this. So concurrently, you also had to be thinking about what is it? That, what's our product? What are we going to make? What are those beers that are going to connect with people? How are we going to connect that to food that also connects with people? You know, and, and what is this thing that we're going to make? Like, what's, you know, what is this why behind what we're doing this? You know, talk to me a little bit about that kind of creative development process and how you envisioned, you know, the beers the Good Society would be known for. Uh, our goal was not to have specific flagship beers, partly because then we don't have to worry about repeatability. <laughs> but, <it's, laughs> but it was more just... Uh, just kind of throwing things to the wall and see what's what's stuck and find out what the neighborhood wanted. And what we found is um, it's a lot of families. It's a lot of people that are not particularly beer geeky. Yeah. And so, you know, it was what we thought would be a great beer didn't necessarily play well in the neighborhood. So it's easy then next time. So, like what? What what was that beer you thought might play well that didn't play well? Initially, it was things like the Grisette, <laughs> which, <laughs> yeah. which then, you know, once they realized it was low alcohol and won awards, it became very popular. It's <laughs> a funny, it's funny thing how, like, yeah. when you say GABF gold yeah. medal winning yeah. Grisette, yeah. like, Changes all of a sudden everything. people want to drink that. Yeah. So, uh, but I you think know, a lot of people didn't know what a Grisette was either. Right. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. Like, you put that up there and they're like, what? But it gave it a little bit of a story and then sort of a sex appeal and, you know, sure. tell them what it was. But it was it was initially our goal was just kind of rotate things through. We'd we'd always have like a pale ale and an IPA sure. and a hazy, but it would be just changing things up. And we we sort of stuck to that a little bit. We've got a couple that we've you know, like the the Kolsch is is basically our starter beer, uh, an IPA that's kind of hung around for a while and that may or may not change. But you know it's it's just and also just trying to keep things fresh, knowing that the consumer has a short attention span and wants something new all the time. 
you know, stick with hard and fast beers. How does that work in this kind of brew pub, you know, kind of scenario? Because, you know, at the one time, yes, you've got beer geeks that are always into that adventure and I want to try new things. I'm going to check something else in on untapped. Right. And it's going to, you know, it's going to be new, new, new. But then, you know, you also have, you know, the, the kind of folks that just want to go have a beer and, you know, you have a Kolsch because that's the closest thing to the, uh, you know, a lager or a light lager that, right. uh, you know, a non-beer fan might be interested in, although that's what we're all drinking here right now. Um, you know, because it's funny how the deeper you get into beer, the more you get back into the thing, you know, that, that first beer that you might've had, um, you know, but in, but in that, like, you know, how does, how does that square up? Are you finding that, uh, the folks that even come in on that, that normal, let's just, hang out and have a beer kind of approach and, uh, you know, still want that kind of exploration and adventure. I think they, I think, I'm not sure that they know that they and, want and, it. And it's if, so weird. Cause like we're talking about it, but the frame of reference that you have is the weirdest year in the history yeah. of beer and the last 40 or 50 of them, you yeah. know, or at least maybe even 70 since, you know, world war two, yeah. you know, potentially. Yeah. And so maybe it's not a great frame of reference to judge that from, but still. Yeah. I mean, I think, so, it, so what what I've seen, like you know, hanging out in the in the tap room, is it though? The, like, there's a lot of people that will like latch onto a beer, right? And they'll be like, and they'll come in, and the beer will be gone, and they're like, oh man, I really love that beer, and we're like, okay, and like we kind of take note of that, and like mental note, and even if it's just anecdotal, and not many people do it, but um, but then you offer them like, oh well, you liked that you like that hazy IPA, try this one. And, and sometimes, you know, they're like, okay, I like that. No, it's fine. It, like it's, it's a good replacement. And so other times they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And so then all of a sudden now we've introduced them to this whole, like, yeah, that beer was good, but there's the possibility that you might like this other, this new beer better. And then, um, but then you still have them asking, Hey, and you get people like, Hey, when, when is this, this beer coming back? And you're like, yeah, w- yeah, we'll, we'll bring it back sometime. Right. And so you kind of keep them intrigued and, and a little bit kind of you know hooked in a little bit like looking for it and following your instagram account on when their favorite hazy ipa might be tapped again or something like that so um like no one's been like oh man that sucks i can't believe you're out of that beer are you really ever never gonna brew it again and most of them are like okay and they find something else and they enjoy that that next beer and and play along with your little tease that's right yeah yeah (laughs) Um, well, let's go back to, to, you know, early 2020, you know, so you, you, you come up with this beer program, you guys start to see a finish line or, I mean, I shouldn't call it a finish line. It really is like your starting line, you know, your warm ups and all of your preparation have gotten you, all of your training has gotten you here and it's early 2020. You're, uh, and, and so you open in late, what, late January, February 14th, February 14th, Valentine's day. So you open February 14th and even by February 14th, like, you know, there's this prospect of this disease happening that like is starting to make people nervous. Um, you know, talk to me about that kind of experience last year in 2020, you know, as you start to open up a brewery, you know, in a cold time of the year where, um, you know, it's not like prime brewery season even right. up here in, in Seattle. But, you know, like I, I'm sure in your mind you're thinking, oh, we'll have a couple of months to get our feet under us before like patio season opens up and people really start coming out. And didn't quite work out that way, did it? There's actually an amazing amount of breweries around here that have a, a, an anniversary in January and February. Like I, I, every year when I see the Instagram like I'm like, oh my gosh! Like, wow, no. So that that, that kind of gave me comfort in, in in knowing that we were opening um, around the same time that others did. Right. We also had a lot of people walking by, peering in windows, opening yep. doors, asking, "Are you ever going to open?" <laughs> and because we yeah. we'd had the windows right. papered for a long time. Yeah. And so there Can't was. Can't you guys figure out that wastewater stuff so that yeah. you can open? Come on. I know. But there was there was a lot of pent up demand. Yeah. And uh, and we didn't know quite how much until opening night, and it was just the floodgates opened up. Yeah, it was packed. And and you know we we the COVID thing I, th- I think wasn't even on our mind. Our mind was just figuring out how we were going to serve yeah. you know over eight hundred people in one night. So so yeah, it was a, it was a lot of people. It was um, a lot of people. But but one of my uh, I that, did some consulting work yeah. uh, at the Gates Foundation before. I figured out that I, I wanted to do the beer brewing career. And so like I kind of had, and I was there during the, um, the Ebola outbreak. 
Um, I think that was like 2014. Um, and so I was, I was kind of in my mind, like I'm definitely no infectious disease expert or anything, but, um, in my mind, I was kind of thinking it was going to be more like that. Like at that point in time, it was still kind of like, you know, okay, it's, it's here. It's something to be mindful of. It was definitely in the news, but you're kind of thinking like, yeah, they're going to handle on it. They'll contain it. It'll go away. So yeah, I was, we weren't really concerned about it at all at that point in time when we were were just like, we need to open up and sell some beer. That's even before a lockdown. And and when it was becoming more evident, uh, it didn't stem the flow (laughs) coming into the tap room. They just kept coming and no one was really masking back then. They were, you know, hoarding toilet paper, but they kept coming and drinking beer. So 800 people at the opening. So we're starting out in 2020 on this crazy high and there's this latent excitement in the neighborhood and you've brought a brewery to this area, you know, you know, immediate neighborhood that didn't have one. But that also because everybody here loves beer um, or at least wants something new and cool to go do in their own neighborhood, that, you know, that they can walk to, um, you know, but then March comes along and all of a sudden the world changes. Yes, you've got did. five, five weeks yeah. under your belt when that happens. Yeah. And we were told by the governor, you'll stop serving the public on this date. And Nick came up to me that morning and said, now what do we do? <laughs> And we just, I, it, we just realized we needed to start crawler sales and uh, delivery and to go and and oh. just, you know, like everybody else, pivoted quickly. That has to be, you know, you know, for a brewery that has a track record and ha- knows what their sales have been and know, has you know consistent relationships with regular customers. They can forecast around that thing. Right. For a brewery that's been open for five weeks, it's a little bit harder to do that. I'm going to ask you more about that first, but uh, the founders launched SS BrewTech with a very clear goal to advance brewing equipment design, performance, and quality to the highest standards in the industry. With a team that draws upon strong functional backgrounds in brewing science, mechanical engineering, industrial design, supply chain, and manufacturing, SS BrewTech has the people and skill sets you want and expect from your supplier of pro brewing equipment. Head over to ssbrewtech.com for more information on their brew houses and brewing gear. Also, food-grade lubricants are not your top concern. Your beer is. Lucky for you, Clarion has a passion for protecting your beer by helping to make your brewing system 100% food safe. When you switch to Clarion food-grade lubricants, you're reducing the risk of costly contamination and recalls to virtually zero, all while extending the life of your equipment. And that leaves you with peace of mind to think about what really matters. Go to clarionlubricants.com to learn more. So you guys pivot and you know you have to package. And uh, and so crowlers are that first move because that seems like an obvious way to move a larger volume of beer and you can do it with pretty inexpensive equipment. You know, um, how did you immediately respond to that? Did did you already have a crowler machine? We did. We did. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. We went that. Um, and we, we had a. We thought Dixie at the time, October. Who'd you buy from? Uh, crowler uh, Nation. Crowler Nation. Yeah, cool. Crowler Nation. Cool. Yeah. We thought we had a sufficient supply of crowlers, like everybody probably did, and immediately <laughs> yeah, ran sure. out of crowlers. Sure. Yeah. Uh, scrambled, found some from October, and then there was nothing. And so for a short period, we were doing growlers, which was just not, again, not part of the business plan. Sure, sure. We're just going to do crawlers. So we're now doing exchanges with growlers in the interim. And it, yeah. it all worked out. But it was, uh, you know, for a while, they're a little touch and go. Uh, and what happened to the business and volume and everything else in that, in that you know, immediate couple of months? It was, you know, surprisingly good. A lot of it was like... Everything COVID, you're you're trying to be generous with everybody, whether you're over tipping or, you know, trying to support sure, local retailers. Sure. And we were, you know, the local brew pub, the new local brew pub, and, and a lot of those customers that were here for five weeks kept coming back, mm-hmm. and and we saw a lot of faces over and over, and some new ones, and uh, just a lot of it was just pure support for us, which was you know really gratifying for us. You know, and it's a story that I hear kind of in a common kind of way. Like there is a, a fair amount of that kind of beautiful narrative to this where 
consumers wanted to take care of their local breweries. And I think it speaks to that kind of relationship that breweries build in communities that, uh, you know, that, that folks kept coming, you know, and in a lot of cases kept would buying Crowlers what they would have bought in pints had, had they come otherwise. And so, you know, that was the kind of thing that, that kept a lot of smaller breweries in business. Um, you know, how did, as you were kind of working through that kind of pandemic challenge, how did you, how did you think about what beer you're going to continue to brew for that? Well, we figured we had a lot of time on our hands, so, you know, <laughs> sure, we, sure. we could do a lager, yeah. which was, you know, initially thinking with just four tanks, lager would be kind of tough to do, but now I had a little extra time, um, and saisons and, and just a, a variety of beers that we probably wouldn't, would have worked in the mix uh, eventually, but, you know, the, the volume was down a little bit, uh, and it was, you know, we, we knew after a couple of couple of weeks into a month or so what was selling and really started turning our attention to those beers and and the seasonality of it it was cold it was winter so stout did well the brown did well and then just uh just kind of developing from there but we had as you point out you know no history we had no idea what we were doing and it uh it, it just seemed to work out quite well and they were buying everything yeah, every 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 beer had its fans for sure. Yeah, and, uh, so. and everyone was COVID drinking. It was yeah. some surprisingly large orders, you know. Yeah. every yeah. other day. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember. Uh, I remember this one guy. His beer was this uh, this British strong ale that we did, and he would come by every day for a crowler of it every day. <laughs> and uh, he's like, "Wow, dude, you drinking a lot?" And this is like an eight and a half percent beer, and. Every day, crowler of that thing, and then, uh, and then he didn't come by for a few days. And we're like, "Man, what happened to that guy?" And uh, this was after like literally like two months of him doing this for every day. And then he came in like a week later, and we're like, "Hey, where you been, man?" And he's like, "My wife found my credit card statement." <laughs> <laughs> so, so then, uh, but yeah, so we had a lot of yeah, we had a lot of great support from people, and and like I said, everybody, you know. People found their different beers that they liked, and, and they were always happy for the variety. They were bummed because at the time we weren't doing tasters or samples or sure, anything like sure. that. Yeah. And, uh, they had to take but, it on faith that the beer was okay in the crawler. Yep. So, but if they kept coming back even through that without tasting it ahead of time, then uh, you know that's that's some good praise. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So then you know we got into the fall and things start to look like they might open up a little bit more and and. Uh, uh, you know, obviously this is before the October, November, you know, second wave and, and, and everything else, you know, and so you, you start to see some, you know, potential for some light at the end of the tunnel, you know, did, did things ramp up at that point or, uh, was there still a caution for us? Um, I'm trying to remember how we went here. So I think they've, they let us have 25% capacity inside, like back in June of last year. Yeah. But hardly anybody showed up for that. Like, and twenty five percent is just—it's not very many people, anyways. And uh, and then the city came out with all these temporary outdoor permits that you can have. Um, and so we got some of those, and we started putting tables out there, and people started coming back for that. And uh, and and July was pretty good for us. And then um, and we kept kind of revamping our outdoor space and kind of adding some more things out there. And, and August really, uh, oh, at the end of July. What did they do? They put something in place at the end of the July, like you can't sit with a table inside, uh, outside your family members, right? So you had to be at the same household or something like that. And so that kind of that kind of ratcheted back a little bit. But then August, like everyone was outside, and September everyone's outside, and right. And then finally in October they're like, okay, let's take away the family thing. And then like you know a month and a half later, you're like, oh wow, we're in this massive wave of COVID again. And, um, so it was kind of up and down, but you know we also hit that. We also hit the uh, the GABF awards in mid October, so that kind of I felt like that put us up. That helped a lot. Um, put us up on kind of like almost a plateau, where like we haven't really fallen back down really from that. Um, even in January, when everyone's like, "Oh man, you know that's a bad month for breweries," right. like we still did relatively okay. You know, not as great as October and November and things like that in January, but. Like February was up again, and we we're sure you know, we're trying to 
slowly climb our way back out of it again. So for sure, for sure. Well, you just wrote the segue for me, so I don't even have to, you know, to put it out there, but let's talk about that. So, you know, you're entering now in this ter- terrible year, you're entering your first great American beer festival. Talk to me about you know, how you thought about the beers that you were going to even enter into the competition. So we, I planned on entering beers in the Washington Beer Awards, which was, you know, something I'd always wanted to do. Sure, I, sure. I, I'd entered in uh, as a pro-am brewer and won a couple of awards in it and thought it would be fun to do as, right. as a pro-brewer. And, uh, and they canceled it because of COVID and thinking, well, they're still doing GABF. And uh, and we had brewed a couple of beers we really liked, and and one of those was the Grisette. Uh and, and so that was something I'd planned. I liked the saison that came out of that, and then uh, a Vienna Lager. That was pretty much just the three beers mm-hmm. that I put in. The ones I felt confident would would do okay, you know, having very low expectations, and and you know, assuming that they'd probably cancel at the last minute, which. You know, fortunately, they didn't. Right, but uh, but the Grisette was one that that came about when I done a prime brew with a, another brewery. Uh, they wanted to crop up the yeast for the saison, so they brewed a Grisette. I had no idea what the the style was. Did a lot of research on the style, and thought, well, that makes perfectly good sense to do it again, and uh, and realized it was a fairly simple recipe, low alcohol, kind of a crushable saison style beer. Kind of was all history after that. <laughs> and, uh, fortunately, the judges loved it. Where, um, what, where, what was the research, and uh, you know, what did you end up landing on? You know, for the for the design of this beer, Phil. You know, a lot of it was just uh, cruising around online and just trying to figure out. And and uh, I can't remember the book, but there was some reference in uh, uh, one of the brewing books on on the style. But a lot of it was just really sketchy, and then it was you know brewed for miners and. And right, all that. right. But, uh, M-I-N-E-R-S. Correct. Yes, 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 correct. Yes, absolutely. Uh, but it was just, you know, sure. and I realized like any good Saison brewed back then, it was just your basic ingredients. You right, know, it was right. two row wheat. Uh, I, and I'd always wanted to play with Holler Tower Blanc and thought, you know, that'd probably be a pretty good vehicle for it. Um, uh, love Yeast Farmhouse, uh, strain and, uh, just just had all the characteristics I wanted, and it just kind of gelled and came together, and became kind of our, our shift beer here at the brewery. It was one that, that we really enjoyed drinking. So, you know, from your brewer mind, what was it that elevated that to you know the best of its category in a gold medal? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Dumb luck. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 no. It was just you know, it it was just a really easy drinking. Uh, just it was just a tasty beer. We uh, we had a um, one of our our favorite beer tenders who's who's left us to go work in Colorado now. Uh, Richard and his wife both really love the beer, and uh, they just love saisons and they love funky beers and and beers of interest. And and uh, I thought, gosh, you know, there's just a lot of love from people who really like that style. That uh, thinking that you know maybe just maybe it'll do well. But what do you think made it stand out, you know, in, in a crowd of other, you know, similar, you know, Belgian style beers in that kind of category? Um, you know, was there something about your approach to the fermentation, about your approach to the hopping? Um, you know, what was, what do you think that piece was? I think that, it was the hop itself. I mean, I've, as I say, I've never used Hollertau Blanc before yeah. then. And, and it, it had that nice kind of whiny, grapey note to it. That you know, when you put that against the the, the kind of light peppery notes of the the yeast strain and and uh, you know between the phenolics and the esters of the yeast and the interplay with the hops, it just really worked. It was uh, it surprised me, you know, that it, that it turned out as well as it did. Yeah, but, uh, um, do you do you know where that Hollertau Blanc came from? I think that was well, it was either I think it was Yakima Valley hops. Okay. As I recall, trying to think back, <laughs> yeah. we brewed it a couple times, and, yeah, and yeah. we've had a couple of different vendors. Yeah. Has the have the other Haller Tower uh, Blanc hops met the same kind of uh, you know uh, punch and character that uh, you got out of that first one? They did. Cool. They did, and I th- I think the second batch maybe was BSG, but uh, cool. But yeah. How did that award 
change the kind of trajectory and arc of the brewery. You know, as we often hear it, something like that, you know, especially in a city crowded with breweries like the greater metro Seattle area is certainly not the area that you're in, but broader Seattle has plenty of breweries in it. Um, That kind of recognition can mean something and can make people pay attention. I mean, my God, it's the reason I'm sitting here talking to you guys right now, (laughs) you know? And so, so clearly, you know, it carries that kind of meaning. Um, you know, what did, what did that mean for this new business just getting started in its first year dealing with all COVID closures to then come out and have that kind of high point moment in the, in that first year of operation? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was huge. Uh, I don't think there's any really other way to state yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if, you know, the, it was kind of the exposure we got because of the award. Uh, sure. I don't know if that makes sense, but, um, you know, when we are, I think, I think the award ceremony was a Friday night, if I remember correctly. Was it Friday night? Probably sounds I think it was, it was on, Friday it was night. On the I think weekend. it was. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I think it was a Friday night. And so people heard and we got like, there was definitely a bump in business that weekend. Um, but then the Seattle Times picked it up. And put sure, it across the sure. front page, uh, or at least a headline across the front page, and then an article, you know, further in. And then, like, the next weekend, it was just like, wow. And, uh, you know, for COVID times, and and I was like, man, I wish we could have wish we could have gotten this during <laughs> non-COVID times, because yeah. it would have been, like, we would have been really packed. Because, you know, we, uh, we eventually had to, you know, run wait lists and, like, you know, turn people away and things like that. So, um, but, yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it's led to a lot of... Um, a lot of recognition and just, which has led to fun conversations with people, even if, you know, even like, like this. Right. And sure, so, sure. um, you know, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think it could be understated what, what that award did. So if we were always wondering what it would be like, we, in, in addition to COVID, we've got the double whammy of having the West Seattle bridge go down, yeah, yep. which is our link to the rest of the world. And, and, uh, there's this mentality of people in Seattle, that West Seattle now is really hard to get to. And, uh, you know, in, in different times, you know, we probably would have driven more business yep. than, than it did. But yeah. we were very fortunate. I, I think a lot of people came from Seattle and, and out of areas to see us after yep. the win. For sure. But then your locals here in West Seattle, you know, for them, now all of a sudden they don't have to go to other places right. in Seattle to go drink beer. Exactly. And they can feel really good about themselves yeah. by going to. <laughs> oh, they yeah. love it. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's it's such an interesting dynamic. Well, no, it's it's a cool thing, and and of course, you know, um, you know, I hadn't put those two things together until you know this came up in another conversation, and when I saw, it, I was like, that that's an impressive move. And wait, I know that guy. <laughs> 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 um, you know what? Uh, what does the next year have in store for Good Society? Gosh, hopefully, full opening. Yeah, that'd be nice. Um, getting the kitchen back on track and getting kind of back to our, yeah. our roots as a brew pub. Yeah. Um, we did purchase a canning line, uh, you know, the, again, not part of the original business plan, but knowing that, what'd you buy? Uh, we bought a gosling from, uh, wild goose. Wild goose. Sure. Wild goose. Sure. Thank yeah. you. Just the little guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Which is perfect size for us. And, uh, you know, we just want to make sure we're putting out a good product if we do a can. And, uh, and, and so you'll probably focus on that a little bit more, trying to get some, some product out in the trade, which is, you know, just glutted with other brewers who've done the exact same thing, but, and just, you know, focusing on trying to come up with some semblance of a normal brew schedule and sure, growing, sure, the, growing sure. the business, you know, that is that downside to this. Like you don't now, you don't even have a year to forecast against, you know, right. next, next year, as you're thinking about how we plan for this, like right. you have the weirdest year yeah. <laughs> that anyone has ever experienced last year. And this year doesn't give you a lot of actionable data around that you yeah. know, to work from either. Yeah. yeah. I was, I actually was talking to Phil about that earlier today. I was just like, I don't, I'm like, we're, we're a year and three months into this thing. And I, I can't tell you anything really. I don't know if May is supposed to be a good month or a bad month because we were completely shut down last May selling crawlers, right? So, I mean, I just, I have no idea. And then next year, I guess you can, maybe you can take some general trends, like, you know, maybe May is better or worse than April or whatever. I I don't know, but like, yeah, I, I just don't know. And so, you know, 
You're going to be rolling by the seat of your pants yeah. Yeah. once again. But we're looking forward to going to CBC this year. Yeah. Put a couple more beers in a GABF and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to go in person to CBC this year. We, we are. are. Yep. I think most people are. Yeah. <laughs> we're vaccinated. We can handle it. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. Like, I cannot wait to go do yeah. CBC yeah. in person. And I know everyone's a little nervous about that. But, yeah. uh, you know, like, yes, just get vaccinated. And let's socially distance and yeah, let's put all this COVID crap behind us you know, and and get on with life. No, no, I I hundred percent agree. What's the what's the big picture? You know, long term plan for Good Society. Well, before COVID, um, we were we we really liked the the neighborhood on premise model, the brew pub type model, and so the idea was always to you know not to expand into some massive production brewery or anything like that. Um, if we did that, it would literally be to service the brew pubs, not because we want it in every corner store in the, in the city or some or, or state or country or anything like that. And so, um, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that, that that's still the plan. Um, and like, there's still, you know, for, for being Seattle and so many breweries, there's still neighborhoods without any brewery that you can find a, right. you know, a nice little spot. And you might necessarily have a brew house there, but you can still open a tap room there and people would be excited about it. And so that was kind of always the the thought. And uh, and that's I think we're still trying to, to make that the reality. Bring beer to the people who need the beer. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and where they live. Oh, it's a noble goal. Well, when will you know that you're successful? What will you count as a success down the road? I don't know. I, I probably have a little bit different definition of success. Like I see people coming back every day and, you know, there's some people that come back three, four days a week and, and drink beer here and love it. And to me, that that's success. Um, you know, obviously you got to make the dollars dollars happen to, to, to keep that happening. But like I think that's, you know success to me is you know right. building a place that people want to come to and and, and you know having a, having a good partner that can can make a product that people want to enjoy so in my mind we're already successful in a, in a lot of ways so how do you define it phil i, I can't say what he said so uh, it's, it's just uh <laughs> I, yeah I, I think the success will be when uh you know i'm in in another part of west seattle and someone says i'm going to my brewery and it's the good society, you know, and they, they identify us as their brewery. You know, we hear that a little bit now. Uh, I just want to hear that expand a little bit yeah. to, you know, if, if they want to go have a beer, we're the place they're going to go have a beer or meet friends or. That's a nice sentiment. You want that kind of feeling of ownership and you want to be the neighborhood's brewery, you know, this whole West Seattle's brewery. No, right. no, that's a, it's a cool thought. Well, you're well on your way. And yeah. you've, uh, you've okay. got some of the accolades, you know, to prove it. G&D Chillers is the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling. Crisp Scottish pale malt is the workhorse of many a brewery. Old Orchard offers consistent product and reliable supply. Set up your account on marketmybrewery.com today. SS Brewtech is advancing brewing equipment design, performance, and quality. And gain peace of mind with Clarion Lubricants. Of course, if you'd like to support this podcast... Go to beerandbrewing.com, click on the subscribe button. If you're a pro brewer, consider our new all-access pro subscriptions with both magazines, exclusive online content, and more. Um, Phil and Nick, if people want to learn more about Good Society Brewery and Public House, where do they find you all? Website, goodsocietybeer.com. And uh, we're also on you know all the normal social media channels, uh, at Good Society Beer on, uh, on Instagram and Facebook. And in real life, just come right here to the tap room. Come, yeah. Yeah. 2701 California Avenue, Southwest Seattle, Washington. So we'll be here. Well, congratulations on your success, both the ups and the downs of 2020. And may the ups continue to be bigger than the downs in this next couple of years for you all. Um, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Cheers. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Cheers. Yeah, appreciate it. This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine for those that love to make and drink great beer. Learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.